I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Thousands of years ago, the struggle, the power struggle was over one thing and one thing alone that had everything to do with worship. God was the one that the angels should worship and Lucifer, he wanted the praise. And he wore jewels on the, on the front of his, on his chest. And the jewels were a reflective of light. And any time that he was in the very presence of God, he reflected right back to God. Giving him glory. Okay? When he was absent from the presence of God... He was absolutely nothing. He was just the creator, a creation of God. And it bugged him. It, it, it weighed on him. It ate him up. He, he, was, he was insanely jealous. So in an attempt to gain glory, he began to manipulate in the kingdom of God. And he began to, to crave and desire people's worship. He wanted the light shined on him. He wanted glory. And when, it ha- when he began to do that, the rebellion came. God cast him down at the speed of light. And thousands of years later, Jesus made a comment, God in the flesh, when he looked at Peter and he said, or Peter, and he said, Peter, the devil desires to sift you as wheat. And many times we look at that Scripture and we misinterpret it. The Scripture doesn't mean just that the devil wants to tear him, tear us to pieces and kill us and destroy us. But if you know what the process of sifting wheat is, it is merely the process of throwing away the bad and keeping the good things. And so when God, man, told Peter that the devil wanted to sift him as wheat, what he was really saying to him was that the devil doesn't care about the bad things in your life. That is irrelevant to him. He wants the fruit And what the fruit is, the goods is, to God, is our worship. And since the very beginning of time, that's all of hell, that's all that hell's wanted from people. As He's wanted the glory. And there are people that pack out stadiums. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. It had nothing to do with what I'm preaching. But there are people that pack out stadiums with 30 and 40,000 people drinking, getting drunk, slobbering around. You can go up to uh, uh, the, the field of, uh, of Green Bay Packers and it's 40 degrees or 40 below zero and there's people, idiots, taking their clothes off, laying in the snow, let, with ice falling on them, drunk, rolling around, and they get excited. People that burn cars when colleges win the championship, turning over cars, burning buildings, beating people up because of the wrong color. 
And I said all that to say this. There is a spirit that has come into the church that has laughed at us and mocked us because they may think that we're crazy because we act like we do. But I have a declaration for hell tonight. The devil doesn't own worship. The devil stole it from us. We were the first holy rollers and the devil stole it. And now they're in the bars drinking, acting like goofy people. And they're out slobbering drunk. And they're out dancing. And they're just acting all crazy. But when they see the apostolics worship, they go, look at those idiots. I've got news for you. My God deserves the worship. The God of this world ain't getting it. So you can laugh at us all you want to. You can think I'm crazy all you want to. But your God never died for you. All He ever did is steal from you. All right, now that I got that out of the way, I'm just letting you know why we act the way we do. Because look around you. There's a bunch of ex-crackheads, drug addicts, alcoholics, broken homes, and God put their life back together. That's why we act the way we do. Take that, devil. Joshua fourteen twelve. That wasn't planned. Joshua fourteen twelve. Now therefore give me this mountain. Yes. Oh, yes. Say this mountain. This mountain. It was a single mountain. It was when he said this mountain, it was very personal to Caleb. It wasn't a just he wasn't taking a shot in the dark he had a focal point he had it in his target in his crosshairs and he said give me this certain mountain wherefore the lord spake in that day for thou heardest in that day how the anakims were there and that the city were great and fenced if so be the Lord will be with me, then I will, or I shall be able to drive them out. Notice what he said. He said, I shall be able to drive them out. He did not say we. Because years prior, when he stood up and there was 12 men that said, let's take it. Ten, and I'm just, I'm not trying to be Jeff, I feel Jeff Arnold champ. Ten idiots said we can't. And Joshua was the first one to say, we can. And so when he said, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said, 
He was just speaking as if maybe there was somebody else that said we can't. So he said, I'm just going to speak for myself. And that's what we need to do tonight. Whether there's people around us that are with us or against us, we got to get in our mind that it's our mountain. You may be seated. I'm going to preach for a little bit, conquering your mountain, your mountain, your mountain, your mountain. Caleb, he, he appears first in the Bible as a member of the twelve spies who were sent by Moses to explore the promised land. And the spies were to report on the people. They were to report on the cities and the land, and they were to bring back some samples of fruit, some goodies, some promised things that God had promised. Their job, they were supposed to encourage, encourage Israel and show them by these samples of fruit that the land floweth with milk and honey. The spies were not sent there to test the strength of the enemy. It was not their job how strong, or to, uh, to know how strong the enemy was. It wasn't none of their business. It was irrelevant to the situation. It was irrelevant to the promise of God. But they were sent there to test the hearts of the Israelites. The twelve spies, they were chosen for, to, to, uh, to be the head or the twelve tribes. Uh, they were to be the leaders. And that's why they were chosen. They were supposed to be the best of the best. They were supposed to be the leaders. They were the ones that were supposed to have a good optimistic report. That's why that they were chosen. And Caleb, he represented the tribe of Judah. And I find it incredible that he represented praise. Because praise should lead everything. These men were chosen in recognition of their leadership in their tribes. Every one of them were rulers among them. They were the heads of the children of Israel. Caleb, he was a nobleman, a prince in Judah. In their search of the land, the spies came to the city of Hebron where they checked out the strong walls of the city and they had noticed, they noticed a family of giants that were living there, a family. And when they returned to the camp, ten of those twelve people, gave a negative report. Listen, they said that the land was fertile. That's a good thing. It is also flowing with milk and honey. And they were excited about that when they began to hear the positive things coming out of their mouth. But there's always a but somewhere. Don't go there. But the inhabitants, they just got done spilling out the good news. If they were smart, they, would have, they should have stopped there. 
but they had to belch out what they said next. But the inhabitants are strong and they are many. They told them about the great walled cities and they reported seeing giants in the land. That was not what they were supposed to do. And I want to take out uh, some time to point out this evening. It wasn't their job to report the negative part of the journey. They were to bring back the good news of the weighted promise. They were to speak about the positive things only in which God had waiting on them. They were supposed to build their faith and not tear them down. I think it would be a very good time to point out it wasn't even their job to report the negative part of the journey. They were supposed to tell about the promise. It is not in our job description, church, to talk about the negative junk in our journey, but only the positive things. It is not our job to hang our head when the enemy comes in trying to knock us out of the picture. It's not our job to speak about the bad things, but it's our job to tell about the goodness of Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's a devil. Yeah, there's walls. Yeah, there's an enemy. But you don't understand. We've got a God. We need to learn to ignore the impossibilities of the river. Yes, there's a river. But we need to ignore the magnitude of the walls of Jericho. We know there's walls and we know it's impossible if we lean in to our own understanding. We need to rise above the fear of the giants. Yes, there's giants in the land, but you don't understand. There's a promise that God has given us that is greater than our enemy. Oh, you don't understand what I'm trying to say. There's a promise that God has breathed into our church. Yeah, we're facing a world full of debauchery and full of terror. But you know what? We have a God that is greater than ever devil that has ever walked out of hell. He's bought this church with the precious blood of Jesus. And there ain't nothing that can never overcome the blood of Jesus. We can trust the promises of God. We are His church. This is God's harvest. He purchased this church with His own blood. And I can guarantee it. If He purchased it with everything that He had, you can guarantee that He's going to do everything to protect us and everything to make sure we get what He's promised us. Don't walk around. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Don't walk around with your head hung low thinking you're some lowly. You're a child of God. You've been blood-bought. Hallelujah. We ought to be building people up, building a faith, speaking faith.
faith into people's lives and not tearing them down with every evil report and every bit of gossip that you hear. Man, that, that stuff discourages people. It holds people hostage. When they gave the negative report, fear gripped the hearts of the people. So Caleb, he steps in front to give his report to Joshua and he, uh, from Joshua and himself. It's interesting to note that Caleb was the first to speak to about, uh, uh, with, with Joshua and Caleb. He was the first one to open his mouth. The name Caleb means dog-like aggression. Let me tell you what kind of people we need in the church. We need people with a backbone. I said we need people with a backbone that when the majority says, there's no way we can do this, there's no way we can win this many people, there's no way we can build a church, there's no way we can pay for a fellowship hall, somebody with a backbone, with dog-like aggression, like Caleb, to step up and say, listen, He did not disagree with the facts presented by the other ten. He did not... Wow. Is that the wind? He didn't disagree. It was obvious. He, he saw it also. But he did ensure the people that even though that there were giants, that they had nothing to fear. He said, there's going to be giants. There's going to be walls. And it's obvious that there is a Jordan that separates us from the promise. He reminded them of how God brought them out of Egypt. Look what he began to do. He stopped focusing on the problem that was presented before them. And he started reminding them of where God brought them from. They had forgotten that God had delivered them out of Egypt. They had forgotten that God parted the Red Sea and gave them victory over the enemy. And he, they forgot that God supplied the manna from heaven, fresh bread every morning. They'd forgotten about the shoes that grew on their feet. They forgot about the cloud in the daytime that led them. They forgot about the fire when it was dark and they were all alone. And they, God shows up with fire. He said, God is with us. God was with us then. He's with us now. Therefore, we will overcome the walled cities and any giant that gets in our way. He said, let's go now. The problem, listen to this. But the ten spies said, we cannot do it. These men accepted defeat without a battle. They entertained the spirit of defeat without even trying. And I'm preaching to somebody tonight. 
now that needs to understand that you never will ever win anything in your life unless you are willing to face the possibility of failure. You didn't hear what I said. Listen to me. You will never win anything in your life if you're not willing to face the possibilities of failure. You may as well face it. There's going to be times that failure is inevitable. But we cannot let the fear of defeat paralyze us from going on. Devil may knock me down. But I'm going to get up. I said the devil may take me down. But when life knocks the wind out of me, we're going to catch our breath and we're going to try again. You cannot win a war that you're not willing to fight. We need people that are not scared to fight. Can I tell you that when you serve God, you cannot fail. When you let God fight your battle, you cannot fail. So whatever you do, don't give up. Don't stop fighting because you're not a failure until you've quit. I said you're not a failure until you quit. You can't lose a war until you quit fighting. And all ten spies saw their problems. They saw the problems and they did not see the power of God. We cannot focus on our problems and be overcomers. We cannot dwell on every difficult thing that is going on in our lives and expect to have victory. We need to dwell on the power of God. That's what Caleb had the ability to do. He wasn't looking at the giant. He wasn't looking at the river. He knew that if God could part the Red Sea, there was a pretty good chance that he could part the Jordan. Can I tell you something? There are people in here tonight. You're facing hell and high water. But I'm going to let you rest assured tonight that if God can bring you out of the depths of hell in the beginning when you were baptized and born again, that God can take you through the next step and the chapter. See, the devil don't want you to remember about the things that happened. He starts reminding you about your past and what you did yesterday. And there's an old saying that says, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. But I like to say this, devil, when you remind me of my past, I want to thank you for letting me know how far God brought me from. You were a drunk. That's all right. I've been washed. Is this all right? Did you know that even though the ten spies had told somewhat of the truth, they lied, told 
Anything that's a half lie, it's just a lie. It doesn't matter. You can't mix truth and lie. It just becomes a lie. (laughs) They lied to the people in an attempt to persuade them not to go up into the land. Just because you can't do something, don't try to make me believe that I can't do something. Just because you... Just because you don't have the guts. Don't, don't try to impart that in my spirit. Just because you don't think RBD is good enough for this church. Don't, you're not speaking for me. And so they lied. That's why the Bible says they brought up an evil report saying that the land through which we have gone to search it, it, listen, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof and all the people. Listen, and all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. Lie, two lies. The first one, they said that the land was not a good place to live, that it eateth up all the inhabitants. God blessed it. It was good. God had spoke to Abraham. He said, wherever you put your feet, I'm going to bless it. And Abraham standing down at a a dark place in his life. Uh, There was nothing growing around him. Why, uh, Lot chose the green pastures of Sodom. He's looking around and it's desolate. And he's standing there with his feet. And God said, I'm going to bless it. And somewhere between the promise and when they received the, uh, the promise, God put land, a land of milk and honey right in that dried up place. So it was blessed. That was the first lie. And they added, listen, listen, what he said, they added the word all to their report of the men of great stature when they knew that there were only five. They assumed that the enemy was greater than what they were. They based their decision on a lie. And they died in a wilderness because ten goofballs told them a lie. Approximately three three million people. Can you believe that? It would be the equivalent of me and nine other guys walking in to New York City and convincing them that uh, uh, Al Gore's telling the truth. Which is a stinking lie. I know you like Brother Al Gore. Ten people! How ridiculous is that? They didn't even have Facebook to plaster it on. Some of y'all would believe it if it was on Facebook and Twitter. It must be true. It's on the Internet. Right, right. Ten people! And it didn't take them days to get converted to a bunch of idiots. I got to drop that word. I'm sorry. It is a spirit that seeps in, that decides that nothing can be done about the situation. This is all there is. 
Ten people convinced three million people. Oh my. It's a spirit that causes us to think that the task is too difficult to do. That you can't handle it. That the best thing for you to do is walk away from it. That there's a spirit that will convince you that your situation is impossible. That your children will never be saved. That God will never bless you. It's a spirit that opposes every aspect of revival. Shuns evangelism and seeks to imprison enthusiasm. The spirit settles for the status quo. It's content to just drift along and not do anything in your life. You can just wander here. You can always stay in the same place. And the problem was, for decades, they had went around in a circle. And I know I've told you this before, but the ignorant thing that they told, they told uh, Moses, they said, hey, we can't go across the Jordan. Well, let us go back to Egypt. God can't part the Jordan. But let us go back in Egypt. Do you know what God would have had to do to let them back into Egypt? They had enough faith to go back. But not enough to go forward. Which tells me that negative faith is just as powerful as positive faith. And it's just as easy to believe the good things There is going to be. You hear me and hear me well. I'm telling you this in the Holy Ghost. That there is rising up in McCormick's Creek Church. There is a spirit of Caleb that is going to be heard in this church. The voice of faith will speak forth in our services. And it will tell us that we're able to take the land. For God had promised it to us. We're not going to let naysayers tell us that we can't do it. I'm trying to tell somebody that you're not in an impossible situation. It's not too difficult that it cannot be worked out. There's nothing that we cannot conquer. There's nothing that we cannot come against. And God can't allow us to overcome. You can have a family income that you need. You can have revival in your, tr- in your house. Your children can still be saved. Your grandchildren can still be saved. You can still be delivered from drugs and alcohol. You've walked in this place with ten people telling you you're no account. You'll never make it. You'll never have anything. You'll always be a loser. But I got a news for you. There's a spirit of Caleb that's rising up that's saying we can do it. We can change. We can go forward. God, how many? Caleb, he, he spoke his mind. Ten people said, we can't. They cried all night long in their tents. They wept. Caleb, he couldn't get it wrapped around his mind. Why? How, how is this possible? We, we've seen all the, the miraculous things. How can it be? Come 
the people that said they could go into the in Canaan went into Canaan. The people that said we can't didn't go. People that say we can't normally don't. But it fascinates me with a personality like Caleb. He's silent. After that they made the decision that they couldn't go, you look at it, you don't hear from him any longer. Imagine the heartbreak. Imagine the, the sleepless nights. He had his, I know that God is, is, is true to His promises. And I got all these people that saying we can't. That had to eat Him up inside. And for 40 years they wandered around and the people that said we can't ended up dying in the wilderness. For 40 years He was silent. For at least 40 years. I forget how many chapters it was. I, and one day, after they crossed that Jordan... They claim the promises of God. You can see it. You can read it. It's, in, it's really neat. You start studying it. Each, each tribe started getting their property that was promised. Some got, a couple got it before they got across the river. It was content for that with that. And they got across the river and the Jerichos fell and the giants fell. But you don't hear from him. Dog-like aggression. Caleb. This animal-like instinct in him. This fighting. This, this bull-headedness. He ain't going to tell him any different. You don't hear from him. And people started getting their land. And land uh, property was taken. and Battles were won. And he's silent. But the incredible thing about him. He was always there. You know why he was always there, Brother Robertson? Because he knew that the promise was greater than his own personal promise. And he was content seeing everybody else get theirs. Reuben? Oh, he got his. Never said it. And he kept fighting along the side. You know, a lot of people in church, veteran church, veteran apostolics, professional apostolics, won't fight unless it benefits their own personal needs. It's not my ministry. <laughs> so he, he keeps his silence. He don't say nothing. He's fighting. This is promises greater than me. This revival isn't just for me, Brother Fox. It's for you. And I hope I want your family to make it. And I'm going to stand along here fighting. And I'm going to stand here. I know your family needs God. And your family needs God. And, and you need blessed. So I'm content just keeping my mouth shut for now. But Caleb, listen to me. Caleb waited. He waited until everybody got theirs. Dan, Reuben, Gad, Joshua. He's on his deathbed. He's dying. His wrinkled face, he's laying there. Caleb shows up at his house uninvited. He didn't show up at Joshua's house uninvited. I, I wouldn't think. You probably had to make an appointment. Caleb, he, he was the only one that could because 
he was the only one that stood beside Joshua's side and said, we can. So he had that respect. So he shows up at his house. He said, I could see him. He didn't all say it all there. I'm just, just I'm, inter- I'm not entertaining. I'm just paraphrasing. He walks in. Hey, Joshua, I sure love you, buddy. Hey, uh, I want to let you know that everybody's got their property and this and that. And he's happy. And I, I fought along with him, and I was excited to see him get blessed. And, and Gad got his, and this one got theirs. But I remember promises for me, too. I mean... I'm not stingy, Joshua, but I feel like I, I feel like I earned it because I've kept my mouth shut for forty-something years, and and I, I I've been a good boy. And you can see the kid in him, Dad. When I can I get mine? And then something rose up inside of him. Hey, don't you doubt my strength, Joshua, because I'm just as strong now. And I've proved it. I've been on this battlefield fighting with all the young guys that had all kinds of energy and strength and I've kept my mouth shut and I've smiled and I kept fighting and I kept taking out giants and I still haven't got mine. But can I tell you, I'm just as strong now as I was 40 years ago. He said, I know if I go out that God's going to bring me back. I have faith in God that this is my mountain and I'm not leaving your house until I get what I come from. There needs to be people in this house tonight to rise up and say, you know what? You've gotten blessed. He's gotten his blessing, but I've kept my mouth shut for too long. I want what's coming to me. I still want my mountain. I'm sick and tired of seeing everybody else blessed. I've got to get it. I'll tell you something. God honors faith. The Bible says that we have to have faith to please God. But it also says that faith without works is dead. Caleb could have stayed home in his bed and said, I've got faith, God, that you're going to give it to me. But he knew that he had to do something to get what was coming to him. So he said, I'm more than able to go out and fight. Whenever God has said faith, it is impossible to please God. When we have faith, it makes the impossible possible. And it turns defeat into victory. Jesus said that faith is powerful enough to pluck up trees. And it's powerful enough to move mountains. And that we can have what we be, uh, have the things that God's promised us. But we need to have more than just faith. We need to have works because the Bible says that it's impossible to please God without faith. But it also says that faith without works is dead. The lady that had the mountain standing before her for 12 years. 
I always go back to this story because it baffles me, the, the perseverance she had in her spirit. For 12 years, she was kicked in the teeth. 12 years, she tried to get a miracle. She had an issue with her blood, which meant she had a flowing problem. Her blood would run out of her body, and God would have to refuel her body with blood. She was bleeding to death for 12 years. And I don't know if you've ever needed a, a transfusion, but I know that uh, to, I'm not uh, ignorant enough to, uh, to believe that if you lose some blood, you're going to be strong. She had no strength in her body. She couldn't hardly pick her hands up. She couldn't hardly walk. She, she didn't have enough uh, energy to do anything else. That's why she had to focus herself on Jesus. But she didn't have just Jesus to focus on. She had to focus on getting through the junk. And she conjured up enough strength, not just faith, but, but works. And Jesus had hundreds, if not thousands of people around him being pressed on. He couldn't even hardly walk forward. He was getting knocked back. He was getting knocked forward and side to side. Thousands of people were touching him. And the Bible says that the woman simply grabbed the hem of his garment and he stopped. And he said, who touched me? And what brought Jesus to a standstill was somebody not with just faith, but somebody that had something before them that works, that wanted a very specific thing. She said, this is the mountain that is standing before me, and this is what I need delivered from. We, we, sometimes we come to Jesus, and we don't even know what we want. It's time to speak it out and say, God, this is what I need. I need deliverance from this or that, but this is my mountain, and I'm not leaving here until I get it. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. 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 I tell you. What I've had on my mind and my spirit last night and today is Sister Katie Tyner. She has been dealing with that sickness for a while. And I'm tired of I'm, I'm tired of seeing it. I'm tired of seeing the devil drag her down. I'm all, I'm over it. And so tonight I, I wanna I know there's others, but I want to I want to pray a prayer of faith specifically for her. And I want you to ask God to dispatch an angel to her side. You can't dispatch an angel on your own. You got to ask God to do that. So I'm asking you right now to to ask God to dispatch an angel, a ministering spirit to her bedside. 
Just for a moment, do that. And then we're going to go to a different place. God, right now in Jesus' name, I'm asking you to dispatch a ministering spirit to Sister Tyner. The mountain that she has been standing in front of has, has, has taunted her, it's laughed at her. I'm asking you, God, to... name Jesus name now that we've done that this is what I'm going to ask you to do you have the authority if you've been baptized in Jesus name and filled with the Holy Ghost you have the authority to speak to, to sickness and disease I'm going to pray the same prayer for Brother Tom, Tom Cook. Oh, he's been down here a hundred times to get prayed for. I don't care how many times he's been down. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. And I'm going to command that sickness to leave. <laughs> Say, well, he's been praying for it for five, six, seven years. Well, they prayed for, the, for Canaan for 40 years and didn't get it for 40 years. And then they got it. Tonight is time to arrive. It's time for healing to show up. And it's time for deliverance to show up. So right now, I rebuke that sickness in the name of Jesus. I command that sickness, that kidney disease, to loosen him right now in Jesus' name. I command strength to enter into his body right now in Jesus' name. Restore virtue into the family. And peace that passes all understanding. I command that sickness to leave Gady right now in Jesus' name. By your stripes, we were healed in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If you have a need tonight, I want you to come to this altar. If you have a sickness, I want you to come to this altar. If you have pain in your body, I want you to come to this altar. Please don't delay. If you need deliverance in your mind, I want you to come to this altar. I'm going to lay this mic down. And God's going to finish this. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If I was you, I would run to this altar if you could. If you had a need. Jesus' name.